Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Reclaimed. This is a podcast here at the Critically Acclaimed Network where we watch old movies as selected by our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And shame on me for not being far more intimately connected to the filmography of William Lustig. Because uh, this is the second William Lustig film we've done on yes, Critically Reclaimed. We, we did Maniac And, the, and the second one with the word Maniac in the title. Yeah, and were you not familiar with the, with the filmography of William Lustig? Uh, well, it, it, William Lustig is one I've always like sort of brushed past in order to get to other mm. things. Not not for any hatred of William Lustig. No, you just sort of Just, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, other things were drawing my attention, and... I, I feel bad. I feel bad yeah. about that. Now, I have seen Maniac Cop 2. <laughs> because of the way I consume movies, I always see Very sequels strange. first and multiple times before I see the originals. I saw Back to the Future Part 2 uh-huh. maybe about 30 times before I even touched Back to the Future Part 1. That's how I was with Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Took you me saw forever. Jedi first? Or? I see Empire and Return multiple times. Uh-huh. And it was only after I'd seen them like a dozen times each that my brother found out I'd never seen the original Star Wars. <laughs> oh, wait, so, there's, there's an original? Yeah, so he was supposed to be babysitting me, and instead he left me home alone while he walked to the nearest Tower Records. Five miles round trip, by the way. That just walk, walked that. Just walked that. All left right. me. Didn't take me with him. Left <laughs> me. And when he came back like with, the, with the video. Yeah. yeah, it was. Three hours. I was unattended for three hours. I could have died. And then when he came back, we watched Star Wars. And I was like, that's pretty good. Um, I like those others better. I kind of do, yeah, actually. The, the, but, first, uh, the first Highlander film I saw was mm-hmm. Highlander 2. Oh, you the, poor thing. The one where they're, they're all aliens and it's yeah. in the future. It's like, oh, the this one that is makes cool, no sense whatsoever. This is a cool science fiction thing. I didn't understand this whole, like, it was meant to be like ancient immortal knights in the, high, you know, oh, in the highlands. Whitney. I didn't oh. think it had any kind of medieval angle whatsoever. Oh. I, the queen was nothing to do with the Highlander well, at all. one of the reasons why that one sucks. The, um, <laughs> that hurts my soul. So Listen, I saw Highlander 2 and I thought it was fine. <laughs> we got to backtrack for people who have no idea what the hell we're talking about. This so is Critically Reclaimed. This is Critically Reclaimed. This is a podcast in which we, uh, every week, we, well, theoretically every week, but we took some time off for the holidays and then my computer exploded, uh, so we took a little time. Mm. Uh, but we're back now. And uh, every episode of Critically Reclaimed, we post a poll over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network uh, for all of our patrons, even $1 a month, you get to vote for it. Uh, and we pick a streaming service, then Whitney picks two films on that service that he hasn't seen. I pick two films that I haven't seen. Usually films of note, not necessarily classics, but films that were sort of like, oh, it's weird that we haven't seen that. So we give our patrons the opportunity to pick that film, we watch that film, we review that film, and then next week we do it all over again, baby. And uh, this time we decided to take a look over at the wonderful streaming service Shudder, which focuses predominantly on films in the horror genre. They have a few action movies here and there, a few sci-fi films, a few straight-up thrillers, but it's they, all kind of stuff. That if, if, if you're into horror, you'd like that. You'd like yeah, their selection. They're very well curated. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, Shudder is one of the better curated streaming services out there. Like They, yeah. they know what they have. They're run by you know, horror nuts, people who yeah. are raised reading Fangoria magazine. Pretty much every... and it's not, it's not like uniform, but pretty much every film that Shudder acquires, like at a film festival to like be a Shutter original or Shutter exclusive mm. is pretty dang good if not great. They've, They've got few, good taste. Uh, a few weird ones. Uh, yeah, the, but you can always see why they picked they, it. They did yeah. the um the, the Critters TV series is a, a bizarre animal. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, well, what no was one, it called Critters: The New Bite, or uh, it was bite, cri- bites back. It was something critics. Like yeah, that's mm. critics. Critters attack. Something Cr- like that. Critters attack. I think. Yeah, that, yeah. that might have been. It's, it. not, it's not. It's not. Um, the worst. Critters critic. six, and yeah. yeah, that that was that was a, a strange thing that Shutter did. Um, but yeah, they brought back. Joe Bob Briggs, and they brought back Elvira uh, recently. Elvi- yeah, Elvira yeah. as well. They did uh, all of their originals are really fascinating, um, and they have a really great uh, selection of. I, I don't want to say horror classics, no, but if you're into horror, the things you kind of need to see. There's there was this era, and I and I and I weep for new generations that don't have this. Uh, but, uh, when you used to go to a video store in the eighties and the nineties, and I'm not mm. here to say that video stores were perfect or that they were the best thing ever, but like all things that have gone the way of the past, there's a few things that we lost. Yeah. Being able to wander the aisle at a video store, not having IMDB on your phone to guide you and ask, answer your questions about you, the films. You'd have that big, thick book that Leonard Maltin put out. Yeah, you have a Leonard Maltin. had a guide at all. Or if you're at one of the cooler stores, maybe you'd have a psychotronic film guide or video mm. hound. Uh, but yeah, you had, you had books to answer your questions about what a movie was about or whether or not it was any good. You had the expertise of the people who worked there, which was a little hit or miss. But a lot of the time, you would just be wandering the aisles, specifically of the horror section, because the horror section tended to have more titles that either went straight to video or were barely released. What I felt and, about... Uh, and you just, my point is this. You saw all these incredible covers. You saw all these salacious titles. Mm. And that's all you had. That's <laughs> all you knew was the promise. And Shudder, their selection is the closest thing we have to that indie video store horror section from the 80s and 90s where there's a few big ones that you know but also a whole bunch of weird ones but you're pretty sure that if it's in this video store they're probably good mm. and yeah, you're worth like, checking out you're, you're 14 you pick up a vhs off of the shelf and you say "Ooh, what's black roses and this six foot seven metal guy with a mohawk and a leather jacket <laughs> a big long beard turns to you and says yeah i've seen that it's pretty good <laughs> And you're intimidated, but like really flattered at the same time. You kind of want to impress that guy. Yeah, yeah. it's like you don't know this guy, but that guy's cool. Yeah, like he he, he's definitely killed a bear. (laughs) I want to impress that guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so that's so that's Shutter, that's Shutter and, that's, and that's and that's why I think a lot of us was, like Shutter. It's very it's very old yeah. fashioned culty movie selection. Even the new stuff feels like stuff that's should have a cult. I I always felt about horror sections in video stores that they were the thumbprint. Of a video store. Mm. You go to a video store, like, the new releases would be generally the same, because yeah. videos are all released at the same the time. The dramas would be generally the same, yeah. the classics would be generally the but, same, the family films would be generally the same. They would always get in, and this is because studios were clever. They had, like, these shitty horror movies that they couldn't get rid of. Yeah. So it's like, okay, if you want big hit movie yeah. on VHS, you're going to have to take these three obscure horror movies that yeah. we can't get rid of. Yeah. So as such, that's how, that's how like uh, cable movie channels work for the longest yeah, time. Yeah, that, that's yeah. how that's how Corman made all his money. Yeah. I think how streaming sold, services still work. Them. You know, yeah, just just, yeah, they just get take our chunks. library. Yeah. Um, so as such, video stores always had every video store had something that no other video store had. Yeah, it was, it was always something weird. So yeah, every uh, every horror section was unique. There's no no two horror sections were alike, yeah. and uh, that that was always the great the way to sort of gauge the quality of a of a video store was to check out their horror section. Yeah, um, and uh, no horror section would be complete uh, without some sort of uh, maniacal killer s- s- section, basically, of guys with like zipper face masks or uh, you know sh- shots of like 
leather jacket guys with giant knives with like serrated edges the size of other knives. <laughs> uh, and oftentimes you'd watch those, you'd rent those on a whim, and you'd say to yourself, well, what did I expect? <laughs> this <laughs> oh, is not good. A, a lot of them were crap. A lot of them were just, it's violent, Look, and I guess I guess that's, this, that's pushing a button, but it's not good. The, the shared crucible of the horror fan was yeah. withstanding garbage. Which was, it made us strong. It made us see the beauty in crap, because often <laughs> crap was all that was available to yeah, us. Yeah. Uh, however... There were a few movies, in particular a few filmmakers, which, if you pick them up at random, and you just, like, you're expecting something gory and stupid, you would end up watching them and going, uh, shit, that's actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. And many of them were written by Larry Cohen, who wrote the film in question this week. Many of them were directed by William Lustig. Who directed the film in question this week? Many of them starred Tom Atkins, who stars in the film in question this week. I like to think Tom. At- Whenever Tom Atkins plays a cop or an investigator, he's the same character. That's a good, that's a good I, idea. Yeah, I think Tom Atkins is just playing one role throughout his. Uh, many career. of them starred Bruce Campbell, who mm-hmm. stars in the film this week. Many of them had Robert Zadar. Who well, is the title character? Some of them had Robert. Robert Zadar is his his filmography is not impeccable. The, look. <laughs> When Robert Zadar showed up, you knew you were going to have scenes with Robert Zadar in them, and those are delightful scenes. We will explain. I like Robert. Zadar. We will explain. If you're unfamiliar with the with the uh, allure of Robert Zadar, we will explain mm. in a minute. Uh, but we're going to talk about a film that is, you know, it's it spawned a mini a small franchise. There's two sequels. Uh, Nicholas Winding Refn of all people has been like trying to launch a remake for years. Not sure why specifically he's so into it, but good for him. He's got good taste. Uh, but the film that our patrons chose and that I am very, very excited to bring to you is a film called Maniac Cop. It's not it's it's not the classiest title, if we're being frank. But it's descriptive and it's accurate. It's because it is about a maniac cop. Yes. Now, that being said, you know, this kind of uh, I actually want to talk about it for a moment here. This kind of title. Uh, William Lustig also directed a film called Maniac, which we have covered on a previous iteration of this podcast. Surely, Maniac Cop was banking on that. Like yeah, the, oh, the, yeah, the sure. underground notoriety of Maniac, which was—they have nothing to do with each other, no, by no, the way. But, They're not connected, other than Ma- both take place in New York. Maniac is is a, an incredibly rough movie. It's very yeah. violent. Uh, it's like sweaty and really disgusting, and it's great, by the way. I really yeah. loved Maniac. Yeah, Maniac's amazing. It's uh, definitely not for everybody. It's oh, goodness, dark as hell, goodness, but like no, but it's, it's, it's really it's, good. Uh, it was like sort of taken under the wing of horror fans. Yeah. So maybe Maniac Cop, using that title, was an attempt to sort of bank on the same crowd. Yeah, again, no direct relation other than William Lustig made it, but yeah, maybe. I always assume that there must have been at least some marketing angle there. Mm. Uh, But in any case, we've seen a lot of horror movies with titles like this. Uh, Titles like Schizoid. Mm. Or, of course, the the iconic one, Psycho. Psycho. Um, these are not crazy people. These are yeah. not uh, uh, films that are banking on uh, classy, well-educated, and wise takes on mental health. No, <laughs> goodness, no. Just, just the, to uh, be clear, they're, they're, they are they are 
sleazy exploitation films even, yeah, for even, the most part. Even uh, even Psycho is pretty sleazy, which you know was made to be sleazy. Yeah, it, it tried to throw in like there's that really annoying speech at the end. Yeah. Uh, tried to make it sound medically significant, but yeah. it's actually like, listen, we're we're making a lot of stuff up here. Uh, so uh, yeah. as I've been saying uh, for a while now, don't don't go to movies to get any kind of accurate depiction of mental illness no. uh, in, in most any regard. It, it, there's been a few here and there that are quite they're quite what good, but usually but hard, they yeah. go out of their way to try to be accurate. Oftentimes movies use mental illness as an excuse to do whatever the fuck they want, usually in a horror realm, which actually brings us to uh, our sponsor this week. Oh, indeed it does. Uh, we actually have a sponsor. We've mentioned them a couple of times before. Uh, our sponsor is a podcast that actually focuses on positive... Uh, 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 well, discourse about yeah, mental health. Yeah, uh, it's we're we're sponsored by a podcast called Blindsided. Um, it's uh, put out by the Players Tribune. It's hosted by a former NHL goalie named Corey Hirsch and a psychiatrist named Dr. Diane McIntosh. Uh, here is our copy. Uh, we got to read this. Uh, plan, plan your work and work your plan. Uh, for many athletes, uh, saying such as this could be considered scripture, permanent signposts, landing the long road to success in sports. For some, the very act of pursuing a career in sports can give a sense of control, a sense of safety, so long as you stick to the plan. That is, until life happens. The kind of life that happens when you're busy making other plans. Breakdowns, insecurity, panic attacks, PTSD, addiction, sudden life changes. Ones that require an athlete to toss aside their well-laid plans and answer the question, what's your next play? Blindsided is a podcast about sports, mental health, and life. All right. Thank you for listening to that. And if you skipped ahead, thank you for coming back. Uh, yeah. So I encourage people to skip. I'm not encouraging them. I'm just acknowledging that some of you probably did. (laughs) Listen, listen. But now that we're, since we're on the topic of mental health, we're talking about maniac. We are talking about maniac. But I actually, I do think this is, this is not irrelevant here because there's, this is a movie that kind of brushes up against some real issues here and in some mm. cases it directly confronts them and in some cases it lets a lot of people off the hook uh this is maniac cop is a story of it's in new york city it's in the 1980s and there is a serial killer dressed like a police officer and whenever anyone comes up to them because like i don't know they were just the opening scene is a woman who's about to be mugged and she's running from her uh, from her assailants and she runs up to a police officer in central park and she says, help, There's they're coming after me, I'm being attacked. And, and instead and of helping her, he strangles her and breaks her neck. Yeah. And he does that every night. He kills innocent people who, for the most part, don't think he's going to attack them because he's a police officer. Uh, these people are coming from a certain place of privilege. Uh, but uh, the idea is that this serial killer police officer is really throwing a big old wrench into the way society works. And now all of a sudden there's a guy who might be a serial killer police officer, might just be impersonating one. Either way, the chief of police or commissioner played by Richard Roundtree uh, doesn't want word of this to get out because he doesn't want people terrified of the police more so than they already are. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a wonderful uh, montage when the word does get out, because Tom Atkins is investigating this and he wants people to know not to trust the police or they'll get murdered. Um, there's a little montage of people like talking about, like, ah, yeah, the police. We knew not to talk to the police. They're just a bunch <laughs> of guys who want to feel big, so they got a gun. That's what we do. 
this. I mean, they're just they're just they're just this, dudes. This movie was made in dudes uh, power. In, in 1988. This was before sort of the great Rudy Giuliani cleanup of New York. Yeah. So this is like still scummy New York. Yeah. Where there's just a lot of a lot of filth and crime. Yeah. So the view of the police was just one of dismissive cynicism. Yeah. Of course they're of course they're evil. Everything's evil in New York. Yeah. New York are, is a cesspool of filth. All of these guys are even if they're well intentioned, they're at the very least uh morally compromised in some way. Mm-hmm. They're eager to look the other way if it benefits them, their job, their coworkers. Yeah, and, and even the the one kind of honest cop, uh, the one played by Bruce Campbell in uh-huh. this movie, uh, it's cheating on his wife. Yeah, he's, so, he's not an angel either, actually. He's he's not a great guy. So And uh, and they tease it for a while. Yeah. Um because they don't show the maniac cop's face. No. For, throughout most of the movie. Yeah. Uh it's you know he's, he's, know he's oh, it's a, always at night, he's yeah, in a, shadow. He's a uniform beat cop, he wears white gloves. That's sort yeah. of his, his signature, yeah. very giallo. He's uh, he's thing. exceptionally tall, so most people are, like he kills are shorter than him, so they're not getting a good look at his face. Mm. Um which, you know, a bit contrived, but you can make that work for a few kills. Uh, so, yeah, so there's this mystery. Who is this guy? And and, and they show other cops, mm-hmm. like, and they shoot those other cops in the same way. Yeah. So uh, Willie Mustig is really trying to misdirect as hard as he it's can. It's actually pretty cool. There's this opening There's this opening scene, and it's really, it, it, first it seems kind of like we're just kind of padding the film a little bit, but the opening credits are, you never see the cop's face, but of a cop putting on their dress blues. Mm. Buttoning their their copper buttons, you know, putting the bullets in their For, gun and formal uniform. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's all very reminiscent of what Joel Schumacher would later do with like putting on the bat costume in Batman, yeah. where each individual, each putting on each glove has a certain drama to it because mm. this is the uniform. So that's the opening credits, and then about thirty minutes or so into the movie, we see a guy in his apartment putting on his uniform in very much the same visual uh, uh, language. Mm. One glove at a time, belt, everything. And after a moment, we we see that this is Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell has not been in the movie before. It's been Tom Atkinson's movie before. Tom Atkinson? Tom Atkinson's. Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins's movies before. But now it's Bruce Campbell, and we see him at home, and we see his wife has a scrapbook of all the killings that have been in the newspaper and she's convinced that her husband is the maniac cop. She's terrified of him. Mm. And he's trying to talk to her and he's trying to say like, "Hey, listen, I didn't know you were afraid of me. We should why didn't you talk about this in therapy? You left couples therapy. I was gung-ho about it. I was willing to pay for it." And it really paints him in this really interesting conflicted light where on one hand, he's trying to preserve his marriage mm. and he actually seems to be doing the work and you feel a little sympathy for him on the other hand we don't have a suspect yet we don't have a suspect yet and he's he's trying to save his marriage in the most half-assed way possible yeah. like it's he's, he's still he's still he's trying to save it on his way to work uh, yeah he's like, trying to save sorry, it on his go. way to work and clearly he's he's trying to save it for her benefit he doesn't really care he's checked out of this marriage yeah. he wants to be polite about it but he's and you get the impression that it's not all his fault there's been a communication breakdown a long time ago mm. uh and when he leaves to go to work his wife follows him follows him to a mysterious room where he's Having an affair. Merely having an affair. Yeah, and, and, and she's like, oh, thank God. Hey, wait a minute, you're having an affair. So she pulls a gun on him. Oh. And you think this is going really horribly bad. And then when she finally leaves, 
humiliated, angry, full of completely understandable emotions. As she is leaving, the maniac cop grabs her. So now Bruce Campbell's wife has died. He has no alibi because he's trying to protect this other officer he was having an affair with. Mm. And he's got a scrapbook at home of all the murders Oops. because his wife thought he was the killer. And now he is in jail and everyone thinks he did it. And only Tom Atkins and, uh, and his girlfriend uh, think maybe he didn't. The structure of this movie is amazing uh, because it's, it's, it, it's, I was going to compare it to Hitchcock. Okay. In, in the sort of the wrongfully accused man who's always in the wrong spot. Yeah. That's Hitchcock so stuff. That's, that's great. And, and yeah. Uh, the only difference between this and Hitchcock is that the cops are, like, some of the cops are sympathetic. Yeah. Hitchcock would never make a movie about cops. H- Hitchcock hated cops. If you notice, yeah. there are police officers or law enforcement officers in any Hitchcock movies. They're always bad guys or uh, scary beings of some kind. Or at the very least, they're considered these weird exceptions to the rule in some way or another. But mm. yeah, no, it's a good point. Hitchcock did not trust authority at all. Um, no, and, he- and in fact, um, there's a story about Hitchcock, if I can go off uh, a, a brief tangent. Go for it. Where, um... I think it was his father tried to scare him straight when he was a boy mm. and said, we're okay. We're going to take you to scaring straight. That is, uh, exposing a young child to, uh, a prison or, um, the harshness of the justice, har- system. harshness of the justice system, uh, in hopes to scare them from committing crimes. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it was, a, it's, it's a very, surprisingly very, popular technique yeah, for very a long corporal time. punishment kind of feel. Yeah. Too. It's, but, um, but yes, yeah. his dad wanted to discourage him from committing crimes. He says, we're going to go to a prison. If you commit a crime, you're going to go here. Here's what a cell looks like. Go into the cell. Here, we've locked the cell. Bye. And they left him there overnight without telling him. Yeah. He didn't like cops after that. <laughs> I don't know how true that story is, but that's it's, the story that was circulated. It, it, it sounds like something that either happened or that Hitchcock would make up to, to justify his hatred of cops. Yeah. Um, yeah, Hitchcock didn't like uh, authority figures. And I don't think uh, Larry Cohen and William Lustig have a lot of affection for them either. I think they have some affection for beat cops. You know, guys who are just mm. like on the you know on the beat trying to do good. But he also portrays, portrays a lot of them as shitty, incompetent people who will believe anything that they're told yeah. and only care about I, like their macho-ness. I, I think William Lustig and, and Larry Cohen care about New Yorkers. That's, that, and, that's and, true. And yeah. they have a great affection for um, sort of the, the the fringes of New York. Mm. You know, sort of uh, the uh, sex workers and, uh, and peop- you know, addicts and criminals. People who sort of dwell around the fringes. Uh, I think they have a great, uh, a great deal of uh, sympathy mm. and, and affection for those people. Uh, so... When it comes to the cops who un- are understanding about criminals or understanding about sex workers, those are better cops yeah. than, than the people who sort of enforce the law or noble yeah. sort of well, fi- crime he- Here's what it boils down to. Early on, when Tom Atkins begins to suspect that, indeed, there is either a killer on the police force, which is very plausible given all of the information this cop seems to have about you know, when to show up and everything like that. It's, it's probably a cop or a former cop mm. or at the very least someone dressing like a cop. But either way, when he goes to Richard Roundtree, the commissioner, and he says, I'm concerned that there may be a killer on the police force. 
I would like us to start looking at people on the police force. I'd like to start uh, talking to the police psychologists, see if anybody's had any particularly extreme uh, mental illness or emotional instability lately, or is dealing with extreme trauma, or maybe has had violent episodes in the past. And Richard Roundtree's like, whoa, what? You you want to you want to just investigate everybody? You want to investigate? Cops? <laughs> well, why don't we start with you? And he tells Tom Atkins, like, you know, when your partner died, you, you, he says, Tom Atkins, you tried to kill yourself. Mm-hmm. And Tom Atkins is like, yeah, that's why I know it's fucking hard. There's this amazing bit where he tells Tom Atkins, you know, you never smile anymore. And Tom Atkins forces this, like, rictus <laughs> grin. And it's so uncomfortable. He's not a smiling guy. He's a guy who's doing his job and is willing to consider that police are not above the law. Yeah. And that's what makes him the hero here. Tom, Other people aren't even willing to make that pot you can consider yeah. that possibility. Uh, Tom Atkins uh, has had quite a wonderfully long career. He's associated with a lot of well-known horror movies, but he has had a yeah. lot of big career beyond that. He was in uh, notably he was in Escape from New York. Yep. Was, uh, he was in Halloween 3. That's one of his more notable films mm-hmm. where he played a really similar role. He wasn't a cop, but he was investigating stuff in Halloween 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in a film I saw for the first time just recently called Night of the Creeps, uh, which is excellent. He he plays a cop in Night of the Creeps and he has a line in Night of the Creeps where he that he, every time he walks into a crime scene, he walks in and says, "Thrill me." <laughs> Night of the Creeps is a film about like space worms from that like little, escape little, a little prison little ship and like moving slugs that crawl into dead bodies yeah. and, and like you walk around as a zombie while they're yeah. multiplying inside your body. I, and... I interviewed Fred Decker once. Fred Decker directed mm-hmm. Night of the Creeps. Mm-hmm. He directed The Monster Squad, two of my favorite films, genre films of the eighties. And it was right around the time when Night of the Creeps, which had been kind of forgotten for a while, was finally getting its cult due and was getting released on Blu-ray. And I asked him what was the origin of the phrase "Thrill Me," and he told me, uh, "Thrill Me" was where that script started. <laughs> he started <laughs> with a cop. Scene who walks into a crime scene and says, thrill me, and somehow got to space worms. And I have nothing but respect for that. But that's actually a good comparison, too, because Maniac Cop is a genre film about a serial killer police officer, but it's also much like Night of the Creeps. It's full of interesting, strong characters. Um, It's unbelievably creative in the way that it patterns itself. And as I was talking about that structure, here's how the movie begins. The movie begins... With no clear protagonist and just a montage of a cop killing people in New York. A protagonist emerges, played by Tom Atkins, who is willing to do anything possible uh, in order to save New York citizens. He leaks information to the press. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the press comes out, the first thing that happens is a cop stops to help some lady whose car has broken down. And she pulls out a gun and shoots him in the head because she's terrified of cops now. Um, just kills the guy. Yeah, yeah. which which is good. Let's, there are consequences to that choice. That's not that's not a unilaterally good choice. There are negative things that come with that. Um, and that's that's Larry Cohen all over, just thinking out all the angles. Um, and then it becomes a wrong man story, where this is and this is again we're half hour into the movie right now. It's a wrong man story where Bruce Campbell is falsely accused of being a maniac cop. Mm. Okay, and then, and then they have to investigate who the maniac cop is. And then after that, it starts becoming. Like a zombie story? Like well, almost supernatural, not quite, but kind of? You know, if, if you look at those early 
like the first couple of Friday the Thirteenth movies. Yeah, it's it's not stated outright that anything supernatural is going on with Jason Voorhees. Yeah. But Jason uh, Voorhees sure does take just, a lot of battle damage and keeps coming, doesn't he? Yeah, he, well, but he's also just a maybe a large, hearty fellow. Yeah, eating those possums in the wood will strengthen a man. Uh, so uh, it could just be said that you know the, these large, unstoppable killers simply have a lot of physical strength. I prefer to think, and I, I think this is uh, codified uh, by the deeply underrated Jason X. <laughs> Jason X. Well, Jason X is a blast, but it is a stupid piece of shit. It, no, it's okay. Stupid, sure. Uh, piece of shit, no. They knew exactly what that movie was. They knew exactly what yeah, movie they were they making. Knew, they, they knew they were making a piece of shit. And, no, I, don't, I think that's really overly harsh. Yeah. I think it's a deeply entertaining movie. That realizes that Jason Voorhees isn't really scary anymore, and he's mm. kind of just this unstoppable comic book juggernaut. So they just play that up, and I'm fine with that. But the opening of Jason X is a perfectly good opening for a Jason story. Once you hit the tenth movie, uh, they've already caught Jason Voorhees. He's like all chained up in a lab somewhere, and someone wants to. They're trying to figure out how to kill him. And they're talking about, yeah, we put him in front of a firing squad, we tried hanging him, we tried throwing him on fire, nothing works, he just keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. And that's when David Cronenberg comes in, in a cameo, as a lead scientist saying, yeah, we're going to stop trying to kill him. He's a medical marvel! The, He's and by the, some well, weird quirk of nature. This guy is completely unkillable. The things we could learn from studying this person's body completely outweigh the dangers of. Up, oh, he just killed me. Never mind. Which is <laughs> hilarious. Well, it, it, it's upsetting though because it, it's like um, when you watch a vampire movie and they're putting like holy water and squirt guns and stuff. Yeah. It's like it, the mystique is gone. Well, it's like I, I understand we're up to the the tenth bloody film in that series. He was already but, he was already risen from the dead by lightning and fought Carrie. Yeah, it's <laughs> because, the, credi- the credibility he, is already out of that was, series. He, was, he but, was swapping bodies in the ninth movie. We're really gonna <laughs> we're really gonna get mad at the tenth. Fair. Uh, My yeah, point is this: they, I, they, that they said, you know, no, it turns out he has just magical regeneration cells. Yeah. They only grow him back so far because he's still yeah. all scarred and gross. Yeah, my point is this. He can't die. My point is this. I feel like there is some unifying factor in a lot of these slashers that we do not talk about, which is like you call it like Voorhees malady or something, where it's like people who have... Oh, who that's have, the next sequel. Yeah, The Voorhees malady. It's not bad. But some like it, it turns into a plague. Yeah, but that's the idea. There's a bunch of Jasons. But the idea is, like for some reason, people who just really love killing, every once in a while, they just become unstoppable. I think Halloween Kills even leaned into this a little bit. Like, just after a while, you kill enough people, you're just immortal. I don't know why it works, <laughs> but it does. We need to right, do some well, more testing. David Cronenberg was on that. Oops, he died. Well, I'd, I'd test it out, but I don't want to kill anybody. <laughs> well, you don't have to, but someone's got to. Anyway, don't don't, don't do that. <laughs> it's getting, all, it's I, getting I, way out of hand. I think you can sense the sarcasm. We're, we're, being, we're being cute. My point is this. Well, I, if you're a serial killer to, in, in the 80s, you might be an unstoppable zombie, or you might not. It, it's safe to assume that we're not advocating murder. <laughs> but what I love about this movie is I love the way that the story, not just the, the plot, but almost the genre evolves over time. You think you can draw a really straight line between something like Maniac Cop and James Wan's Malignant, mm. where half the fun of Malignant, which I won't ruin for you because it's such a hoot, I don't think everyone's seen it yet, uh, but uh, half the fun of Malignant is it starts off as kind of like a serial killer story, and it just keeps spiraling into whatever weird shit 
they could come up with. And it becomes different kinds of movies multiple times throughout that narrative. And you're never quite sure what'll happen, or even if you do know what'll happen, you don't know how. Mm. Um, and I think Maniakov does that very, very well. Larry Cohen is one of my favorite screenwriters, period. He, he is he's one of the, the titans of uh, genre screenwriting. Yeah. Um, he, he's directed numerous films, mm-hmm. and he is an idea guy. Yeah. Uh, he wants to um, assure that something is being done in a screenplay that hasn't been done before. Yeah. No matter, Some of it's really weird. Yeah. So if, if it's, he'll take low-budget, pulp exploitation schlock, mm. and every single time he will write that screenplay within an inch of its life. He will write that screenplay mm. over and over again until... Every tiny character has a personality until every line of dialogue is not a cliche until every single plot point is just a little surprising. Here's a great example. He uh, wrote and directed a really interesting movie from 1982 called Q, the Winged Serpent. Q, the Winged Serpent. Q is short for Quetzalcoatl. Uh, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, it's much better poster than a movie. I, I like this movie more than you, yeah. but uh, my point is this. I think it's an interesting film mm. because it's a film about uh, a a dragon-like uh, deity. Quetzalcoatl. Mm. Uh, Quetzalcoatl. Uh, uh, that is uh, uh, sort of summoned into existence by a cult. And it is a flying dragon-type creature that is living in New York City. And every once in a while, it'll fly around pick up a sunbather from a roof, decapitate a guy who's like washing a window on a skyscraper, and then just fly away. And the gag is, nobody notices because it's New York and no one looks up. Which is true, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody looks up all the time and you can totally miss that there's a fucking flying monster up there. Uh, And the point of the movie isn't an action-packed thing with like helicopters chasing Quetzalcoatl. That's the obvious route. Cue the Winged Serpent is about a failed jazz pianist who chances upon the lair of Quetzalcoatl and decides to hold the information ransom. That's it. Mm. It's a moral story about a guy who's been screwed over by this city, knows how to save people's lives, and won't do it unless there's something in it for him. Michael Moriarty stars in it. Michael Moriarty should have been nominated for an Oscar. He's great in that movie. (laughs) It's kind of a weird film, but that's the point, is that Larry Cohen will cu- come at a story from a very different angle. Yeah, yeah. And he will find a new way to do the same old crap. So, uh, Maniac Cop is ostensibly a slasher movie. It's a, yeah. a slasher. More or less. Uh, but the angle here is, A, it's a cop. That's an interesting idea. That yeah. you know, The person you would go to for help is actually the one killing people. Not incredibly novel, but you yeah. know, that's a, an angle. Definitely, an, it's a gimmick. It's an angle for yeah. a slasher movie. Um the uh, sort of obfuscation as to who it really is, that sort of giallo whodunit quality, mm-hmm. uh, that's also a, another angle. It's to mm-hmm. give a little bit more texture to the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also a cop movie. Well, it's, it's a know. cop movie, and it is about how there are shades of gray within the morality of the local cops. The maniac cop isn't just some sort of killer. Mm-hmm. We actually get to learn a lot about the maniac cop, and mm-hmm. uh, this is where we get to bring up Robert Zadar. Yep, if if you like, um, no, please do. Okay. Robert Zadar is the character is the actor who plays the maniac yeah, cop. The maniac cop is is a cop. He's a yeah. Uh, he's a former cop. Uh, he was a hero cop. He was he was a uh, um, famous. He was in headlines, and he was every single cop. Is uh, Matt Cordell is, is yeah. his cop. Every single thing. cop who remembers him mm. 
remembers him as a hero. And why do they remember him as a hero? I, think this, I believe this expression is used multiple times in the film. Uh, because he was a shoot first and ask questions later kind of guy. He was Dirty Harry. Things did not go well for Dirty Harry in this universe. He ended up going to jail. As he probably should have. He ended up being killed in jail. As he probably would be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, who, who saw this coming? Everybody. Uh, however, and he's, he's murdered in jail, but like, as we find out later, he wasn't quite dead. And, <laughs> and the, the mortician was basically just like, eh, close enough. And just threw him in Potter's field, basically, and just released his body mm-hmm. to the only person who, who wanted it. And now this hero cop has been dealing with probably uh, an immense brain damage from mm-hmm. lack of oxygen to the brain and all that kind of stuff. Um, also clearly wasn't altogether there in the first place. If you think about it, cause he really did like killing. Uh, and now his entire point perspective is warped. And rather than killing the people that everyone is okay with him killing criminals, basically the punisher. Hmm. Now he's killing people who didn't do anything wrong. People who don't deserve well, and, to die, you know, anybody. And, well, and, uh, and it's revealed yeah. that, uh, the reason this guy was a cop to begin with was because he was into the killing, not yeah. not the justice. Uh, Which is an indictment of yeah. the entire concept of a lot of cop movies of the 1980s and 1970s, basically anything post-Miranda rights, where this idea was that the bureaucracy was preventing cops from doing their job, and if the, jo- the cops could do their job, they would recognize a killer on site because they're just that good, and then they would they kill should, them. They should be allowed to do whatever they want because they're on the street and they have the yeah. experience if yeah. they can just... Tackle a guy down and beat him to death. They took care of a bad guy. That yeah. was the thinking. That was considered. And that's what Miranda rights were. Yeah, cause, were trying to prevent. And this kind of shit was considered heroic mm. in movies like Dirty Harry, in movies like Cobra. Yeah, watch watch Dirty Harry again uh, because yeah. that is a, a, a fiercely anti Miranda rights movie. It is yeah. super super right wing. Yeah, uh, and it argues that cops should be allowed to do that by making up this character. It's sort of like yeah. a straw man argument yeah. that they come up with. It's the Zodiac Killer. They call him Scorpio it, in the movie. It's actually interesting that the sequel to Dirty Harry, Magnum Force, mm. tries to go in the other direction. Tries to walk it back Because like, bit, there are yeah. other cops who are doing the exact same thing Dirty Harry does, but they're worse. So, they're so not as good about it. So, yeah. so, they're, so it's okay now. Dirty Harry's like off the hook from before. But regardless, there was this understanding... In a lot of genre cinema and a lot of genre television, and a lot of this is pervasive to this day, and it's only recently that we've started, it started being sort of fashionable to to question it en masse, Mm. uh, even though a lot of people always have. But um, we have propped up, deified, put on a pedestal, corrupt cops. We, We say it's fine because they're doing it for the right reason, or because, oh, it's only, they only do it when, like, the law is getting in the way of justice or whatever. Mm. But in actuality, no, most of that's just criminal shit. Mm. And if you want to say that, like, oh, this is the one exception where this is the one time where, like, yeah, but this is the one exception to the rule, man. So this is okay. That might be okay in your one movie, but when you look at the collective whole of the police genre and you realize that every single movie and show is making that argument regularly it no longer feels like there's an exception to the rule it feels like the rule is getting in the way of good police work and that police should have the freedom to shoot to kill that's 
not cool, actually. And I feel like Maniac Cop is at least acknowledging this it, in a way that a yeah. lot of other cop think shows and movies were not. Well, I think uh, TV was better about it. There were a lot of cop yeah. shows, and there were a lot of cop shows that addressed sort of corruption within the police force. Mm. But those cop shows were about the cops and ultimately were about how the criminal justice system is generally working for the better. Yeah, mostly it's fine, yeah. is, the, um, is the idea. Yeah, anyway. the, yeah. the, and it, it treated people uh, like corrupt cops or violent cops as aberrations, uh, which Maniac Cop does as well. But at the same time, uh, it does argue that the police sit, uh, force, the police mm-hmm. force, is a system designed to attract violent people. Yeah, and when we see, anytime there's an incidental moment or scene with cops who aren't the main characters... Um, they're usually not portrayed as particularly intelligent. Mm-hmm. They're portrayed as not particularly interested in people being innocent until proven guilty. They're eager to use violent force if they can. They're condescending to women and mm-hmm. people of color. Uh, they're not portrayed very positively. There's maybe one or two cops that are portrayed genuinely positively. Mm-hmm. Also, things don't go well for those cops. <laughs> Um, it's really uncanny how smart a film called Maniac Cop can be. <laughs> and it is. It's a very intelligent screenplay. William Lustig shoots the shit out of it. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Larry Cohen. I want to recommend a few Larry Cohen movies for people who haven't seen everything. I like Q more than you. Like, fair enough. I'm, I'm, you should see. I'm very fond of God Told Me To. God Told Me To is a really cool uh, Larry Cohen film uh, from 1976, which is about a series of murders from people who seem completely unconnected to one another, but all of them say that God told them to kill. Yeah. That can't be a total coincidence. It's like a whole wave. And so a guy's investigating this phenomenon. Where it goes is weird. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure I like I, I agree with where the ending of that movie goes. I think it's a it's Look, a it's a choice. Where where it goes is so like you won't be able to predict that. No, you will not. No, you will not. It's, um, it's pretty wild. I think my favorite uh Larry Cohen film is actually The Stuff from 1985. Which is a, a, a very strange premise. It's about a uh, glop from space that yeah. corporations decides they discover it's delicious. Yeah. So they market it as yogurt, and of course, it's this alien brain parasite. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's like it's like uh, uh, imagine somewhere between uh, I don't know a farce or satire of modern like commerce. Mm. You know, where it's like, oh, it's uh, this the story of New Coke. Or it's the story of like how like Ecto Cooler became the most popular drink in America for like a year. But it's also the blob. Yeah. And there's some horrifically disgusting effects in that can, movie. Can you imagine if uh, the Coca-Cola company tried to bottle the blob? Yeah, and, and sell and they, it. And, they, and, and they it made worked. A, and, and it made a lot of money for them, so they wouldn't. there's no reason for them to stop. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's wonderful, really... Wonderful condemnation of uh, commerce society. Obvious metaphor, but whatevs. Fantastically insidious motion picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you ever see his film The Ambulance? Oh, I didn't see the ambulance. Eric Roberts plays a artist working for Marvel Comics. Stan Lee plays himself in this film, uh, who happens to chance upon a weird conspiracy where people are being injured, an ambulance picks them up, and then they're never seen again. People just trust an ambulance. Mm -hmm. Very Larry Cohen premise. Larry Cohen also wrote a film that I think is actually astoundingly clever, um, or at least he's got a story credit, uh, for Cellular. Oh, that's starring the, Chris Evans, the Stephen King adaptation. No, 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 no. Cell, you're thinking of oh, I'm Cell. Thinking of Cell. No, Cell, Cell's you're right. Starring... Cellular is the one where um, 
Uh, Kim uh, Basinger's kidnapped. King Basinger's kidnapped. She has managed to call Chris Evans on his yeah. cell phone. And this was yeah. when cell phones weren't, like, they didn't have uh, tracking or screens on them yeah, yet. They, they weren't smartphones yet. So, yeah. she, so, uh, she, she, so he has to keep her on the phone, and the horror comes from keeping the battery charged and keeping yeah. a signal and yeah. you know, making sure he's in a place where he can always get a signal. There's a really great getting bit. as much information from her as possible. She doesn't yeah. know where she is. She doesn't know where she is. He needs to keep her on the line. Mm-hmm. He can't call her back. That service was not available yet. And she can't call him back because she's on a broken telephone and she's dialed the number at random. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there's a whole bit where if he can just walk up the stairs in this police precinct and hand the phone to a cop, the problem is solved. But there's no cell phone reception. <laughs> In the police precinct, so he can't solve the problem. <laughs> he has to keep running around. There's a bit where his phone's about to die, and he has to hold up a cell phone store at gunpoint in order to says, "I just need a battery for my phone." Ah, oh, it's what a clever film! Like so Hitchcockian and great. Um, but William Lustig mm-hmm. is not as uh, not as well known. I feel like even as Larry Cohen. Uh, fun fact: he's, he's known in horror circles. But I think yeah, so. I, uh, but William Cup. Fun fact: he is the nephew of Jake Lamotta, uh, who's uh, has a bit in yeah. Maniac Cop. Jake Lamotta is the boxer that the movie Raging Bull is about, played mm-hmm. by Robert De Niro. And yeah, he, Jake Lamotta has a cameo in Maniac Cop, and he's related to William Lustig, which I didn't know until today, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, William Lustig, I, yeah. I didn't see uh, the films he made called Hot Honey and The Violation of Claudia. I'm guessing those are porno movies. I, th- I think they're porno movies. Um, but he yeah. did Maniac in 1980, mm-hmm. uh, and he did uh, uh, Maniac Cop in 88. Yeah, he did Vigilante, which I haven't seen, but it's very well respected, uh, uh, starring Robert mm-hmm. Forster and Fred Williamson. He did Maniac Cop two and three. I actually am very fond of the last feature film that he did, which is which is a goofy film in a lot of ways. It, uh, it's hurt by its low budget, but yeah. it's, it's sort of sort of an interesting idea. And, and it's written by Larry Cohen, so it's smarter than you might think. It's called Uncle Sam, uh-huh. and it is about a Fourth of July celebration in a small town in America where someone is dressed like Uncle Sam. You know the guy in the stars and stripes hat. When I want you to join them, Bleh. Uh-huh. and Uncle Sam's killing everybody. On, it's a 4th of July movie. And it's actually, like, a pretty potent film about, like, how we don't question America and how we sort of venerate Americans, America's, like, history of war without mm-hmm. really dealing with what that means. Uh, but you're right, it's too low budget for its own good. But as a low budget slasher, it's way better than you'd think. And I think that's true for a lot of William Lustig stuff. Just way better than you'd think. <laughs> uh, William Lustig also spent a lot of his career, uh, like... Uh, working as a CEO of like Blue Underground, uh, and which is a, a really great um, uh, video label. Yeah, and they they were responsible for releasing a lot of pulpy films, a lot of like old uh, spaghetti westerns and uh, early Cohen films as well, uh, Larry Cohen films, uh, and uh, just a lot of people were introduced to a lot of genre cinema through Blue Underground. Um, Anyway, Maniac Cop, uh, a few other things about Maniac Cop. Sam Raimi is in it. Cameo, but yeah, yeah. He, he plays a reporter, right? He plays a reporter. Yeah. He plays a reporter. There's a whole big sequence uh, well, at a, at a yeah. uh, St. Patrick's Day parade. William Lustig and Sam, Sam Raimi was sort of a gadfly. He actually mm. tooled around with a lot of other filmmakers. Mm. Uh, he, he has the, a co-writing uh, credit on the Shawshank, not the Hudson The Hudsucker Proxy. Hudson, yeah, he, yeah. Well, he and, and the Coens uh, yeah. all used to room together. Yeah. So they've like worked Joel on Cohen, like, yeah. co-edited The Evil Dead. Uh, yeah. Sam Raimi uh, directed Crime Wave, which the Coens wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, so yeah, they, he he tooled around with the Coens, and also um, and also Willie Mustig is in Sam Raimi movies. Mm. Uh, he he played like zombies and like Army of Darkness and stuff. But yeah, yeah they they knew each other. Yeah, oh, I respect that about Sam Raimi. He he liked to just hang out. Yeah, he seems like a good friend. He seems he seems he seems pretty loyal. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I really really I, I'm so so this is your only your second William Mustig movie. So you've never seen this one before. I've seen this one before. What is your overall takeaway for Maniac Cop? Um, I dig Maniac Cop. I like it yeah. sort of... Uh, it, it moves really quick. Uh, it mm. has some really good kills, and uh, it's it has sort of a moral point to it without sacrificing that uh, salacious fun of a slasher movie. Yeah. Uh, and when, when it's finally revealed sort of the true nature of, of the Maniac Cop, we got, you know, a few glory shots of, uh, you know, Robert Zadar's face. He's got all these monster makeup, scars and and monster makeup. Um, You know, it's it's he's a good movie monster. Robert Zadar is a large, imposing man. He's got uh, uh, hugely like he's he's just as wide across as he is tall. Well, he used to be. He's he's a he's a he's a a Chippendales dancer. He was a Chippendales dancer. He was a bodybuilder. Um, he had a uh, uh, a medical condition that resulted in a very large jawline. Yeah, uh, it was it was called cherubism, and yeah. uh, it, it just affected the bones. It wasn't dangerous. It no, just sort of changed, changed he, just, the shape he just had a jaw. big jaw. He just had a big jaw, yeah. and it, it was a distinctive feature, and it led to him his, his playing jaw a lot got of work. And he he yeah. understood that his jaw no, got him work. He, he so. leaned into it, and it led to him getting a lot of roles as bad guys and other like heavies he was often like uh the main bad guy's bodyguard in an action movie yeah, um i i recommend and this is a t- it's a terrible movie uh-huh. but please see samurai cop i was gonna say you're gonna say, say samurai I, I am cop, gonna say yeah. samurai cop okay. because samurai cop is one of one of the great bad movies mm-hmm. in the world uh one of the it was directed by um amir Sherfan was his name and yeah. uh he made a, a trio of truly bizarre, super low budget movies that are just bonkers to watch. There was a Samurai Cop, mm-hmm. the one that preceded that, Hollywood Cop, and then he did one after that called Killing American Style. <laughs> and uh, he was he was an Iranian filmmaker who, and these were like his big uh, attempts to break into the American film market. Nice uh, and. Samurai Cop, I think, is the best of the three, just because it's the strangest. It was clearly Samurai Cop over. is a hoot. Samurai yeah. Cop is it's one of those it's one of those quote unquote bad movies where it's so completely entertaining. Calling it bad feels rude after a while. Like it's definitely working on it's, some level. It's, I'm not sure it's, it's the it's level like, they were intending, but by God, you're having fun. Really badly written. Really like badly a weird acted. paper mache lion of, in that one. That's just it, it's dominating y- it's made the of yarn. It's a, yeah, it's a, a lion, a life size lion head. Head made of yarn <laughs> that is just in the middle of a dialogue scene, right in the middle of people talking. It is never addressed. It is not the point. It's just the most distracting piece of production design I think I've ever seen in a movie. Mm. And I want it so bad. <laughs> is there an Etsy store that sure, sells sure, that shit? I want that. Some, some like... Uh, they're doing all these boutique like soundtrack yeah. records for these cheesy old horror movies or yeah. re- recreating you know props surely somebody out there one of these companies is going to mm. recreate that lion from samurai yeah. cop uh, anyway robert zadar uh usually starred in like z-grade schlock he was in mm. a few high profile movies he was like, in tango, tango and cash which is actually like, pretty good it's may- stupid but it's maybe fun. uh the sort of yeah. the most exposure he yeah. got but uh he, he was, was in cherry in- 2000 which i will go to bat for any day of the week there's I only one cherry scene in cherry who 2000, cares but, uh, he, but there he is Larry, lawrence fishburne is only in cherry 2000 for one scene hmm. still lawrence fishburne like <laughs> cherry 2000 but, is a great movie about a, the post-apocalyptic wasteland being the only place you can get replacement parts for your sex robot 
So a guy hires Melanie Griffith to like guide him through the wastelands so he can get his sex robot repaired. And along the way, they find like a weird self-help cult run by Tim Thomerson that wants to stop them. <laughs> and I don't know why. Uh, it's fucking great. Uh, <laughs> it's really fucking great. Um, but but yeah. that's the kind of film Robert Zadar was yeah, drawn to. Yeah, he was to. in weird uh, stuff. Yeah, he... Definitely see Samurai Cop. Don't see Pocket Ninjas. That's just no. a, a big piece of garbage. Uh, he was I in a see... Mystery Science Theater film, a film that was featured on Mystery Science Theater called Soul Taker. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a noteworthy, uh, we, we talked about this in uh, an earlier episode of our show. Uh, he was in a gnome named Gnorm. Mm-hmm. As a uh, as a bad guy, and this is this is a story about uh, uh, Anthony Michael Hall as a cop, and he ends up teaming up with a gnome, not a gnome, a gnome. That's a plot point. Uh, he ends up teaming up with a gnome in order to solve a mystery involving a magic sparkly. Anyway, Robert Zadar plays one of the bad guys, and when he sees the gnome, he like looks at Anthony Michael Hall. And it's like you are a very irresponsible parent. He just he just like drops all of it. I I kill people. And I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> and I love that bit. Only good bit in that movie. Yeah, just look up his his filmography. Watch a Robert Zadar yeah. movie. Uh, you're going to get some really dumb, incredibly enjoyable schlock. Yeah. And he's always game for it. Yeah. He was always yeah. up for it, and God bless him for it. Yeah, but Samurai Cop is... It's it's probably his biggest good role. The Samurai Cop? He's, he's the, like the second lead in that movie. Yeah, he's... Uh, he's, he's, he's a he's bad the, guy who gets main, a lot of screen time. He's the main bad guy opposite the Samurai Cop. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a really wonderful scene where he disguises himself as a doctor God, to, to, to sneak into a hospital to, to kill a guy. Because he, he's also a samurai. He's got a sword. Yeah. But even though he dresses in the doctor's coat, they still hide him in a laundry hamper. <laughs> so they reel the laundry hamper and he emerges and he's dressed like a doctor. <laughs> You're already dressed as a doctor. And he, and he pulls out the, the, the samurai sword and then he like very gently brings it down on the guy's neck and starts sawing very quiet. It's a samurai sword. You're supposed to chop it the head off, right? He saws the guy's head off. It's a really embarrassing prop with this bloody head in a bag. Oh, gosh, Samurai Cop is so special. Um, see, seeing uh, Robert Zadar kind of starring in a movie, this is maybe his, like, Maybe what he's best known for is is Maniac Cop. That's probably his most respectable like franchise. Yeah, I mean, he was the bad guy in these movies. It, it, yeah. There were three Maniac Cop films. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, and so it, it was wonderful to see him. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, he got to play this sort of. It's sort of uh, uh, sort of explained that he might be immortal, but there's nothing supernatural going on. That's Maniac Cop too. When he, when he dies and he comes back and he's clearly a zombie. Okay, I actually haven't seen... I, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit I've never seen the sequels, although I have heard the rap song from Maniac Cop 2, and it is pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, Maniac Cop 2 is pretty special. Yeah. Uh, and when you're making a B-movie, there are certain things that you need. You know, we're talking about the ideas. Uh, when you're making an exploitation movie, you have to have something just fun in it. Why do people go to movies? They want to mm. see death, they want to see sex, they want to mm. see explosions and violence. Yeah. Uh, and it's, all, it's all a gladiator arena. Basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, just, just throw throw everything at the audience. Make make a lot of just schlocky exploitation elements in there. Yeah. And I think William Lustig really uh, really went to town with the cars. Yeah. There's a lot of really spectacular car stunts in this. There's some mm-hmm. good car crashes. Uh, a few good uh, bullet explosions. But at the very end, mm-hmm. there's a scene where a van is charging about uh, sort of the docks. And some stuntmen actually get hit in that. Yeah, it like looks they, really they dangerous. They sideswipe some some stunt yeah. people. Clearly, like they're not like hurting these people, but the stunt yeah. people are like they're endangering really, themselves, really putting themselves yeah. into extreme danger. 
Uh, including the, the bit where a van leaps off the end of a pier into some water and a stunt person like does three flips through the air as they dive out <laughs> through this van that's it's some cool shit. just flying through the air. It's just fun yeah. movie making. Um, so yeah, I, I dug Maniac Cop. Yeah. I was really happy to see it. I just like William Lustig's style. Yeah, uh, I, th- I figured you would. I'm really, really glad. Uh, so that is it for Critically Reclaimed. Thank you to everybody at our Patreon who voted for Maniac Cop. Uh, you did well. Uh, sorry about the wait, but I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, next time on Critically Reclaimed, it'll be next week, we promise. Uh, we're going all the way. We're going to do a big 180. We're going to a huge 180 from the ultraviolet <laughs> Maniac Cop. And, and the well-curated Shutter streaming service. To Disney Plus. Uh, which is so poorly curated that we were looking for films to pick for this list, and we went to their all films from A to Z section. Mm. And then, because I couldn't find something that I was sure was there, I looked up just in the search function, like the word like Journey, because I was looking to see if they had Journey to the Center of the Earth, because I heard that. Mm. And uh, they had a ton of movies that weren't in their A to Z section. What is, what is the purpose of streaming services hiding their, their films? It's the A to Z section. Put them all there. Also, I... Wait, I want to see what you got. I understand that, with that the aesthetic of... Uh, the aesthetic, like the layout yeah, yeah, of, of the, streaming services... The homepage they, is trying all to emphasize what's new. Even, or, you know. even like really classy, yeah. well-curated ones like a Criterion Channel or, yeah. or Ovid. Like, they're... They're still laying these out, like laying out these blocks of sort of like yeah. randomly assorted. Trying to grab your them. eye, yeah. so that if you're just casually looking at it, you go ooh, and then you click that. Not one streaming service will just let you hit a button that says list, and you can yeah. list them all alphabetically. That's all I want. Reorder man. them by year, and uh, the by very after few if you want to. And the very few that I've seen actually attempt that on some level with it. Yeah, they they yeah. find some way to screw it up, or like we'll show you A through G, but then then you click on more. And it starts all over again, and it takes you to a new page, and you're back at A, but now there are new movies in the A section? What the fuck is that about, Paramount Plus? <laughs> Paramount Plus is is one of the worst offenders. It's certainly one of the of worst orga- interfaces. Organizers. Easily one of the worst uh, interfaces. Paramount Plus and Hulu are sort of like the wor- like most difficult uh, to navigate awful. for me. Uh, they're all bad. They're, they're all, all bad. they're all badly. They're all badly put together. Some more so but than others. D- but Disney yeah. Plus, when you ask for a list of all of their films A to Z mm-hmm. and don't have them all, yeah, I'm wondering what the motivation is. Is this an error? Are with you their trying system? to hide something? You don't want mm-hmm. us to see the journey of Natty Gan. I thought we all liked that one. What the hell? My guess is they have a contract with certain movies that they they were required to put them on their service. They but own them. It's Disney. They they own them all. I don't see why they would have to do this. I don't. But I don't think that makes sense for Disney. It's entirely possible that they're getting more money by steering people towards like their newer content. I don't. I don't buy it at all. So it's like, would you rather watch the Journey of Natigan or their new Boba Fett TV series? I guarantee like, you, they're trying to steer us toward trying, the newer stuff. Yeah, they're but probably like, trying yeah, to get but, more people into the newer stuff and trying to steer you away from something like the Journey of Natigan. Anyway, we digress. Uh, here are your options. Uh, if you head on over to patreon.com slash critically claimed network, by the time this episode is up, the poll will be there. The polls are usually up for two or three days. Uh, and uh, anyone can vote as long as you're a patron and you can just be a $1 a month patron. You still get to vote in this and you also get our bonus Batman podcast. Holy Batman. We're reviewing every single episode mm-hmm. of the 1960s Batman. So a lot of good stuff. Uh, here are your options. One, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Not the one everyone likes from the 80s, the 2007 one that made all the money. 
It was a big hit. And Huge. The four sequels. There's yeah, a I've, bunch of those things. I have seen... I've John seen, Waters is in one of the sequels. I have seen about five minutes of one of these. I couldn't tell you which one. I'm a big uh, but, fan of the chipmunks, but I don't know about the CGI version, but I keep an open mind. We, I've, I've never seen it, so it's definitely possible. Maybe it's aged very well. <laughs> uh... I would be surprised, but I have to keep an open mind, don't I? Uh, next up, the Apple Dumpling Gang, which I assume is about a group of bakers who really I've never love had an Apple Dumpling. Apple Dumplings. It's uh, it's a Western with Don Knotts. And it's Tim a comedy Conway, Western yeah. with Tim Conway and uh, Don Knotts, but it's got it's got a big cult following. A lot of people really love that movie. I've never seen it either. Uh, next up, we've got the Lizzie McGuire movie, which I'm not entirely sure isn't the Hannah Montana movie. I've always Lizzie, confused those two. You said the Lizzie McGuire movie, and I thought the Hannah Montana movie because I've seen the Hannah Montana movie. That's the one that's got uh, Luke, like uh, Lucas Till who, from like the X Men movies, that, right? That, the, it's got the hoedown, throwdown the action stud, sequence. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It has the hoedown. I think that's the Hannah Montana movie. Yeah. Lizzie McGuire, I think, was the one where she goes to Rome, and then in the trailer they had that B fifty two song "Rome" if you want to, and I think that's I didn't like, see it because that's not the Rome the B fifty twos meant. It's R O A M, and I am insulted. Song. And I love the B fifty two song. Anyway, it looks like it looks like Gidget goes to Rome, but with but with Leslie McGuire. So anyway, we got that, and we've got the original, not the remake, the original Shaggy Dog about a kid who turns into a dog. Uh, Which you shouldn't had, do. It got a sequel and a remake, so yeah. you know, it was it was a hit at the time. That was a big deal, and uh, uh, and when I say you shouldn't turn into a dog, uh, what I mean to say is uh, good luck. Give <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it a try, I suppose. I'm not, I'm not judging, but like it's uh, it's um, you know it's not pill battle. Um, especially the way it happens in this film. So, uh, and I haven't seen this since I was a kid. So that would be an interesting uh, uh, thing. Uh, the, to I, I went on a tear when yeah. I was a kid, where I rented a lot of those uh, live-action Disney films. Oh yeah, like the so Ugly Dachshund or Bon Voyage. Um, I've, or, I've uh, seen uh, Escape to Witch Mountain yeah. and its sequel, um, Return from Witch Mountain. Yeah, uh, I saw. Uh, I think I saw all the Fred McMurray ones. My mom was a huge. Yeah, fan. I, I saw the Absent-minded yeah. Professor movies. I saw um, all of the. Um, oh, I saw all the Haley Mills ones, like I, I uh, One the, Magic Summer. I saw the Medfield College. Yeah. Movies, yeah. uh, so uh, computer war tennis shoes, strongest men. Merlin in the world. Jones. Uh, now you see him, now you don't. See the Merlin Jones films? I haven't seen Merlin Jones. Oh, really? Um, okay, Monkey's I, Uncle. I, and, I, okay. here, here's the thing: I, I, I know I've seen Monkey's Uncle because the song is still in my brain somewhere. <laughs> they might have, it might have just been one of those things they played on the Disney Channel. But that's entirely stuff. possible. They used to do he that. Was they would, a they uncle. would just, they would just no, play no, a no, song no. from a random they Disney movie just, just yeah, while they were filling wings. time yeah, between yeah. A, a show and a movie. Mm. Um, but anyway, those are the options. It's once again because we rambled. Uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks, two thousand seven. The Apple Dumpling Gang. The Lizzie McGuire movie, and the original Shaggy Dog. Uh, at least one of us hasn't seen each of those movies, uh, and we will watch whichever one you vote for, and we'll we will give it an honest shake. And we will review it next time on Critically Reclaimed. Uh, thank you, everybody, once again for listening. You're awesome. And we just think you're neat. Uh, <laughs> we got all of this cool stuff, and we do it all for you. So we hope you're enjoying it. Uh, very special shout-out to all of our patrons. Not just those who voted, but, you know, everybody. Even if you didn't have time or, hmm. or you got... Anyway, we got a whole bunch of stuff over at our Patreon page. We got the Batman podcast, a, po- a podcast where we review every single episode of Star Trek in order, where we just did uh, the latest episode of our show, Only the Best, where we're reviewing every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. We've got commentary tracks. We have Google... We have, not Google. We have uh, Hangouts as well, online Hangouts with our patrons. It's a lot of cool stuff over there. That uh, that last episode of Only the Best is interesting because mm-hmm. we tried to make the case against Casablanca. We 
tried. We tried. It's like <laughs> you tried harder than I did. Well, Casablanca is unassailable, uh, yeah. but I was trying to like find a way, like find an angle, yeah. like because it wasn't the only great film nominated. For no, Best there were, there were some year. very good movies, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, I just wanted to say. It's the obvious one, right? Yeah. What case can we make against Casablanca? So I, yeah. I really made, tried to. Read. I think he made a pretty good case okay. for a, for another film. And if you don't know what mm-hmm. film that is, and you want to find out. You can listen to the latest episode of Only the Best. It's really one of my favorite podcasts that we do mm. uh, because it's a really, really great deep dive into Hollywood history. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's it for Critically Reclaimed. Uh, if you want to join in the conversation in any way, I want to talk about anything we discussed on this show. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of our show, We've Got Mail. Or if you prefer the snail mail route, Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, you can yeah, mail us an actual letter. It's P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Wee! Uh, and, uh, of course, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, until next time, keep on being critically reclaimed, <laughs> you, you, you folks. Well done. Thank you. Thank you.